The View from the Lane is sponsored by Bet365, and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. They're offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play in the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Welcome to The View from the Lane, a Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined again today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. It's been another very exciting and strange week in the world of Spurs. 44 minutes into the game on Sunday, it looked like the beginning of the end for Jose Mourinho, Charlie, but then they produced the, the best second half of the Mourinho era. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because on one hand, it's it's one in the eye for those of us you know, who are saying that they don't really have a coherent attacking plan. But, and at the risk of being seen to be critical of Mourinho, it, it did slightly support the idea that, you know, they don't necessarily have a care and attacking plan, but they have world-class attackers who are capable of moments of magic. And Kane and Son are two of the best attackers in Europe. They combined beautifully. And Southampton, I mean, the vantage point at St. Mary's is really good for this. You could just see these like vast, empty spaces that the Southampton high line had vacated. So that did kind of play into their hands. But, but you know, you've got to give them credit. They scored five goals in an away game. They they did attack really well in that second half. Um, and yeah, I mean, a week, you know, this time a week ago, there wasn't really much of an inkling that Bale was coming back. Uh, Region was still a kind of, yeah, speculative, maybe might happen. And then here we are a week on and they've, you know, they've won, they've won two games. They've made two amazing signings. So... A whole lot more positive, I imagine, James. You're waking up uh, this morning than you were this time a week ago. <laughs> well, just just on your point about it being one in the eye for those who were uh, suggesting that Spurs didn't have a coherent attack, that's even more true uh, of those of us who at halftime tweeted uh, that Son goal kind of underlines the problem in a way that they need a moment of magic to score a goal, and then sure enough, they score another four in the second half, and I'm getting a lot of uh, you know laughing emojis and whatever else in my in my Twitter at column for the rest of the day. Um, kind of still stand by that and I think we discussed it at great length in the last couple of pods so we don't need to go through it again and I think there is still an issue there but clearly they uh, they found a, a sort of temporary solution in that game at least I guess as well like the, the thing is it has moved on from even a week ago like when I the piece I wrote this time a week ago was about that the lack of gear and attacking but since then they've added Bale and maybe it will be okay if you have a front three of Kane, Son and Bale that you can get away without having that coherent attacking plan and you can rely on one of them the chances are one of them will do something special in a game you know I don't think it's a sustainable way of playing I don't think it's 
you know, a really long term. Uh, it doesn't speak necessarily to like amazing planning, but it might well just be crazy enough to work. I think it's one of those things that can get you through like a mad season. And I think yeah. we're probably all of the mind that this season will be mad one way or another. Um, but not not one that you're going to kind of set out as a master plan for the next three or four years. But I don't suppose that's really how Mourinho has ever really done things, to be honest. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing on that, I mean, the, the moment of magic in the first half, of course, come, came from uh, our, our man Tungi Ndombele, which it wasn't something I think, I think any of us expected to happen, particularly in the first half of a football match. Well, although he only played a half, so, you know, that was kind of... Well, yeah, but normally he comes on, doesn't he, the last like, 10 yeah. minutes or whatever. That move was incredible. Like, it was... I know it's been kind of... It's one of those moments that just gets... It gets kind of forgotten because of the everything that happened later, and we will certainly come on to the goals and Kane and so on and all that, but that moment from Dombele, the way he just kind of spins back in one direction, sends Romeo, who's like a big guy, flying, and then, what, like, turns... I think it's Ward Prowls with that kind of roulette spin burst forward the pass through to Kane on the left it's like the, that is why you pay 55 million pounds for him it's the that ability to what is what American bloggers call break the press like press resistance and obviously it's like a shame he came off but I don't think that like massively matters the point is that he was on the pitch doing it showing that he can do stuff that nobody else can do it's what Rio Ferdinand calls sending someone for a pie yes yeah yeah he sent two players for a pie yeah which he coined at Euro 2016 I think but yeah that was most definitely sent he sent Romero for a pie was was that said of uh, Hal Robson Canoe against uh, Belgium? I think it was not sen- sending for a hot dog, wasn't it? I thought that the pie one was earlier in the tournament. It was, um, it was from quite an obscure game early on that I happened to be watching, and it was. I think it was he sent one or two of them for a pie there, and it just really stuck in my mind because <laughs> <laughs> I'd never heard that. Not really heard it since. I think someone, someone for, sending someone for a hot dog, I think, sound, like rhythmically sounds better, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, yeah. no, without wanting to mention 442 Magazine for like the third podcast or fourth podcast in a row, uh, I know that after that tournament, we did a photo shoot with Harold Robson Canoe where we got him to literally put like tomato ketchup on a hot right, dog. Yeah. Wow. That's the level of journalism yeah. I, I operated in front of. <laughs> For a limited time only, we are offering you the opportunity to subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. You can read all of our articles on Spurs, including Charlie's recent article on how Harry Kane could fill the creative void left by Christian Eriksen, as well as a whole host of other articles on Gareth Bale's return to the club. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up for the special price of just £1 per month. What's, what I think really stood out about this, and this is, you know, this is why you listen to our Insightful podcast, was the link-up between Kane and Son in the second half. So Kane obviously got four assists for Son, which I think is unprecedented before scoring the fifth. And those assists are just ridiculously good. Like, the quality of passes across those four goals is just fantastic. And I know... It almost wouldn't matter whether or not Son scored the chances because the point is how good the pass was. There was the things left foot pass out for the first one. Uh, the second one is kind of a clever little dink through. The third one, he came turns on the halfway line, chips the ball forward, and the fourth one he pulls out to the right hand side and does this. I think this is the best of the lot. A kind of chipped bent cross to Son, and it's just an inc- in, like an incredible array of different types of creative passes and look I, I hate it I hate it I hate it I hate it when people say this sort of thing but I'm going to say it anyway if that was Kevin De Bruyne they'd be going on about it all day <laughs> like I think yeah. that is kind of what idiots and wankers say but if it's me <laughs> saying it it's different um, yeah it's just like an incredible array of like 
playmaking quality, Charlie. And that's kind of what you what you touched on in your post-match piece. Yeah, in the piece I was talking about that, and this is something um, that I know you, you Jack, you've, you you know very well from having covered England as closely as you do. But he he was dropping into that kind of nine ten hybrid role. I described him as like a latter day Teddy Sheringham, and on the on that assist point, I called it like a, it was it was a perfect hat trick of assists uh, in the sense there wasn't one with the head, but he did one from a central area. One he drifted wide left, and another he drifted wide right. You know, I'm not suggesting Kane is going to become this kind of selfless. Uh, link-up man exclusively but it's a great one to have and especially against teams that are just going to sit deep and you know think that if they can keep Kane quiet then they'll be fine but if Kane's dropping deep taking defenders away which he will do because you can't you can't leave Harry Kane especially when he's producing assists like that it's, it's just an, it's a great additional option for them to have um, and, and the thing I touched on the piece was that you know that creativity deficit has been there really since Ericsson left and having someone who can play between the lines and make those kind of passes uh, in, in the interim before we hope and Dombele will be able to do a bit more of that and maybe the Celso in, if and when he plays slightly more advanced. But um, yeah, it could go some way to making up for that uh, void that's basically been there since Ericsson left. Harry Kane said what I think is quite a typically Harry Kane thing after the game. Uh, he, he, he talks about one of the assists and he said, and I'm assuming he meant that fourth one that you mentioned, Jack, where he kind of without, without like looking over his shoulder, he played that diagonal ball to Son to like chest down. I think he um, needs the third one. Oh, really? We well, didn't yeah. let me say what he said first. Let me let me say what he said first. He he uh, said that I know the quote you're talking about, James. I know these off by heart. Oh, come on. He uh, he said that he didn't he didn't even look. He just kind of knew where Tom was going to be running, which is why I thought. I mean, it doesn't really make a difference because basically what you're saying is his understanding about other players in the pitch are is really good, uh, and he knows where they're going to be at any given moment, which obviously is, is particularly useful for a player uh, if they're going to be some kind of playmaker. Um, so remind me which one was the third pass then Charlie so the third one and the reason the only reason I know that I don't just recall everything he says but I used it in the piece it's the one where he gets the pass from Davinson Sanchez in his own half oh yeah and kind of has his back to goal and, and plays the pass seemingly blind without looking just over into this like enormous cavernous space that Sun runs onto whereas I, I, th- I thought it was that because the fourth he has a bit more time he's on the ball dribbling and I think has a bit more time to get his head okay well, I mean I looked at that quite a lot and it didn't really look like he looked up back because he's kind of facing sort of away from goal a bit it doesn't look like he looks back over his shoulder he just kind of hooks it into the space behind Maybe, maybe next time I get Kane in a, in a mix zone or a press conference I'm going to put this to Great. repeat the quote so Perfect. Harry which, uh, which goal are you referring that's to that's the exact and, question yeah, we should be asking him yeah exactly that's, that'd be a good use of access what it reminds me of Charlie and you mentioned this in your piece was that Leicester City game on the 19th of July when Spurs won 3-0 where Kane scored two but he played two unbelievably good passes through to Son one was with the outside of his right boot um and Son then had like, scored via deflection. I can't remember if it was given as an own yeah, goal or not. Yeah, given as an OG, yeah. And then in the second half, and this is like this has been kind of struck, not struck from the record, but this is not. I don't know if this ever made it onto the highlights clips. He played one of the best passes I've ever seen, mm. where he's like turning in the halfway, basically in the centre circle, and hits this bending pass that like bends through the. Leicester defence through to Son and Son's through on goal and then like I think Son stumbled or didn't get a shot off and Wes Morgan got caught up with him uh, so of course it like goes down as nothing like I don't know if he gets any I don't even know if like if our stats metrics will remember that but as a piece of, of skill it was unbelievably good 
and yeah. it's just and this I think this performance is even better than that one and that was so I think he's like he is improving at this skill all the time and like you said with with Bale coming in I think realistically Bale will probably play quite close to goal probably closer to goal than he used to at Spurs first time around just because he hasn't got the he's not going to be able to run 50 metres at a time every time uh, and that means that we're going to see more and more and more of this from Kane but it's just it is just great to see because he is so so good at it the other game as well, as well as that Leicester one, was uh, the England-Bulgaria game, which, you know, unfo- the Bulgaria-England game, I should say, which unfortunately was overshadowed for all the wrong reasons. But in that game, Harry Kane scores one, assists three, and again, a real variety of assists. You've got a left-footed curling cross from the inside right channel. Then there's a kind of low centre across goal for a tap-in, and then he plays a through ball. Um, and he does a pre-assist with a one-two with Sterling to Ross Barkley. And um, it was pointed out to me in the comments as well that I'd forgotten in that Nations Cup win against uh, Spain, if you remember that game, he he sets up at least one of the goals with a really smart dropping into space and assisting. So he's got that in his locker. And um, yeah, it is, it is really exciting to see it play out like that. Yeah, for me, that Spain game, that 3-2 is like the the first time that I saw Kane do this to such a high standard, I think, because he had he had Sterling and Sancho either side of him. No, sorry, Sterling and Rashford either side of him in a 4-3-3. And I think it was one of the first times Southgate played the 4-3-3, having obviously had a sort of 3-5-2 at the World Cup. And he... Cause the quality of Kane's passing with those two runners ahead of him, I think he got an assist and a pre-assist or something. Um, but if you go back and watch the highlights, like you'll see how well Kane does that job in that game. And there's no reason why he can't do it at Spurs with the players he's now got ahead of him, particularly, you know, whether it's Son and Son and Bale or whether they, they could use Bergwijn like that or whoever. So it is, it is just really, really good. And if Spurs are going to do anything this season, I think a lot of their goals will probably end up looking like that. How they there's like another question, which is how can Spurs how can Spurs create chances against teams that don't defend like Southampton did? But that is, uh, and I don't, I, I don't know what the answer is. You know, answers. If you if you know the answer, please tweet us. But I'm, um, uh, I feel like that's kind of a question for another day as well. Hi there, I'm David Ornstein, host of the Athletics Ornstein and Chapman podcast, and I'm here to tell you about Manscaped, the expert in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. And you can also listen to me on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. It's myself, Mark Chapman, and the Athletics stable of expert writers, bringing you unrivaled insight into the biggest stories in the game every single week. Another thing that I want to mention about the game is, so I wrote this piece, uh, which went live on Sunday morning, about how the relationship between Kane and Bale would be so important, and it might be good for Kane to have Bale there because he's an even bigger star than Kane, it would take pressure off him. And as I was writing it, I was like, mm, I'm not really mentioning Hyungman Son here. He's pretty good too. So I like wrote in a sort of token sentence about Son. And then obviously Son goes and has this incredible game and lots of people put in the comments, completely fair enough, that I was unfair on Son in the piece. And it's like, we shouldn't forget that 
Son has been arguably Spurs' most consistent high-level performer over the last two or three years. Like, he's not... He doesn't quite have the numbers as Kane, but then he... uh, I think he's still a little bit streaky sometimes in terms of goal scoring. But in terms of consistent performance and work rate and speed and everything, he's just a terrific player. And it might well be that being like the third most famous man of that front line this season, as he as he will be, could turn out to be really good for him, Charlie. I find it quite frustrating um, with Sun sometimes that, that, you know, this whole narrative that Spurs absolutely have to have another number nine. And, and you know, this, so, which I'm not saying they don't, but like, we'll get on to Leighton Orient. But when, when it was assumed that that game was going to happen, Mourinho told us yesterday that, Kane was likely to play because they don't have another number nine as if there's no other way of playing and as if you can't play Son Heung-min there and like Son not only did he was he the starting centre forward uh, you know for most of those games leading up to the Champions League final and he was brilliant he also when Kane was out last season he went on a run before getting injured Son of scoring six goals in five games he can do that role really really well and yes it would be good to have a backup striker in squad as well but like the idea that just any striker is better than having Sun up front is just madness to me. Like, he is someone who pretty much every team in the league would happily play as a wide forward and also in part of, like, a fluid front three. He's that good. So it just seems a real failure of imagination to think that you can't possibly play with him as an alternative to Kane. Like, it's been done successfully many, many times. Like, that season where Kane was out a lot, I think 18-19, Sun scored something like 11 11 and 16 games without him. And that run I mentioned six and five last season. So I just think, you know, there are other ways of playing and you need to be a bit more imaginative sometimes. And he's a really amazing option to have. And he showed that yesterday again. I know you could say that's because he was playing from a wide position and was able to make those runs. But look, he's a world-class finisher and a really good option there, whether they do bring in a backup striker or not. I mean, two, two things on that for me. One, I mean, you, you say, Jack, that he's been like the best performer over the last two or three years and that he's a relatively consistent and hardworking player. But actually... I, I kind of think the irony of this uh, little glut of goals in the second half yesterday was that he, he probably hasn't really been in his best form in the last... Well, I mean, if, if you extend back to him him returning to that injury, which I guess perhaps is, is mitigation for that. But yeah, I don't think his, his, uh, his form in Project Restart was particularly impressive and I wasn't really particularly convinced with how he played in the, in the first couple of games of the season either. But he is such a... I think you used the word streaky, Charlie. I mean, he is a, he is a player who will score goals in, in like in kind of little a little pockets through the season. And I just wouldn't be at all surprised now if he scored like you know, ten in ten or something like that over the next over the next few weeks, which obviously given how given how many games there are, without wanting to mention that again, uh, would be particularly handy, I think. Yeah, completely. Is there anyone else who um who stood out? So LaCelso's second half contribution I thought was really good on TV, he looked sort of sharper than ever. I mean Hoyberg was much improved as well, wasn't he? I mean it, I, I'm not saying it was like a sort of, you know, five-star performance but having really struggled in those first two games I mean two very different games one where he was like having to do a lot of work uh, in terms of like closing people down and kind of shutting off avenues and whatever and the second where he probably was on the ball perhaps more than he's comfortable with uh, but against Southampton I thought he, he looked far better far more comfortable uh, and particularly in the second half I think he did a pretty good job of keeping them quiet and as was pointed out on Twitter, the fact that he wasn't playing for Southampton was a massive advantage because their uh, central midfield looked pretty light without him allowing Tottenham to just kind of waltz through at will. 
One player who we didn't see on Sunday, though, was Deli Alley, who was left out of the Spurs squad again. Um, Charlie, what's happening there? Yeah, it's a really interesting one, this. Um, so, two games running now, not even made the squad. Um, my understanding is Mourinho would be happy for him to go. I mean, that would most likely be a loan. Um, you know, and there's a feeling that Gareth Bale's arrival is is bad news for him. You know, he's he's one of the guys who will suffer the most and, you know, have his game time reduced even further. Uh, Delhi wants to be at a club where he feels appreciated and loved and whether that's Tottenham or elsewhere. Uh, ideally, Daniel Levy would like to keep him. Um, so it will be an interesting one, you know, when push comes to shove, who kind of wins out there. I mean, obviously, Daniel gets the final say, um, but... You know, it feels like already with a couple of deals this month. Uh, we're talking about this actually on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast earlier. That you know, someone like Matt Doherty is twenty eight, won't have a huge resale value. You know, that's not necessarily a signing you'd expect Daniel Levy to make normally. You know, you'd want someone a bit younger uh, who you might be able to sell on at some point. So you know, clearly Mourinho is having a reasonable amount of sway in the transfer market, and a lot of people are saying much more than Pochettino did. I think that's partly circumstantial. But yeah, on this one, Mourinho would be okay to see him move on. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a, it's a tough one. We, we've talked about it at length, so we won't go into it again. But, you know, Delhi is a, a complicated player tactically where you fit him in. But, but you know, I know talking to friends of mine who are Tottenham fans, they'd be really sad to see Delhi go because he is you know, a link with, uh, with that pass, with that Pochettino team. The flip side, a lot of fans think he doesn't contribute enough. But yeah, I mean, James, what do you think? Are you, would you be sad if he, if he moved on? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be, I mean, in a way, it would sort of be a bit of an indictment on Mourinho tactically if, if he can't find a way of fitting him into that season, one uh, into that system one way or another. And it doesn't really feel like he's really tried anything particularly revolutionary there, which which kind of feels like a bit of a, maybe, maybe a little bit short-sighted. But I mean, having said that, you know, and, and as you mentioned, Charlie, we've, we've discussed it a few times in the last few weeks. And it is difficult to see how you, how you make that work, how you fit that in. It has felt like a like a relationship that uh, I don't want to say soured because that's probably overstating it a little bit, but it felt like it turned a bit quite early on. I mean, in those early weeks, you know, we got the uh, Delhi and his brother quote, and you know, all the stuff. It seemed like he was going to be integral to Mourinho's system, and in the first few games, the uh, first couple of months, even he was scoring goals and playing reasonably well, and kind of felt felt like he was going to be at the centre of things, whatever happened under Mourinho, and then. I mean, I guess we kind of saw in the documentary that things didn't quite uh, develop in the way that that anyone really would have wanted. And yeah, he's kind of he's kind of felt like a peripheral figure, even when he's been on the pitch, really. Yeah, and, and as we've said a few times, it's just really hard to see where he can go and and kind of reinvent himself. I mean, we know we've heard talk that PSD are maybe interested, but I mean, I. I'm not necessarily convinced that would be a brilliant move for him at this stage because I, I kind of get the impression things might be quite unsettled there this season. I think they've started the league season quite badly, but they lost at the weekend. So, I mean, I, you know, I know that's probably overstating it a little bit, but you do wonder. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really see there being a whole load of clubs he could go to where he wouldn't be taking quite a big step down to actually get in the team. Which is, you know, I, I don't think it's really a reflection of his ability. It's more a reflection of the way the game has changed in the last two or three years. I mean, if anything, his best bet might be to wait and see. Uh, where Pochettino eventually ends up, and then following him wherever that is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Though it's just, it's. I know we touched on this last week, but it's just very difficult to know what his, what his next move would be. Um, I'm sure he would rather go to a big club where he'd, you know, naturally be less of a star. But maybe the 
it might be better for him to go to a smaller club and be the be the main man. Um, I, I think he he kind of needs to work out what he wants to do, what he wants to be as a player, right? He, he needs to kind of he needs to kind right, of like yeah. have a think about whether he wants to be a midfield player, or a centre forward, or a wide forward. Because uh, broadly speaking, none of those things are really going to ever go out of fashion, are they? The, the kind of player he is at the moment will kind of will kind of flit in and out of fashion over the course of you know the next ten years, his career. Whereas if he, if, he, if he can make himself a centre forward or like a wide forward, an inverted sort of wide forward player or, or even like a sort of number eight or whatever, he's always going to get football somewhere at a decent level because he, we, know, we know the talent he has. He's, he's an incredible player. But at the moment, he just kind of feels like he's caught somewhere between all three of those things. And he's just not, he's just not a master of any of those roles. And it, uh, he just strikes me as the kind of person who's going to have to want to do it. He's, it. I don't think he's going to be able to just go to a club and just have a moment to sort of say how do you fancy doing this and then just sort of it's just going to work I think he needs to work hard at it he's going to need to want to do it I think he needs to stay at a club at a good level uh, at the highest level possible rather than go down because I think it's so it's so difficult uh, like it's so much easier if you if, if you're a, a player who's who's good enough to play for, for a top club you can you know you can help decorate games and things like that whereas if you're playing for a team low down you really have to be lifting that team and dominating games and i and i think delhi is someone who's better at you know he i think he is someone who will flit in and out of games and that's fine if you if you have that end product like you did for tottenham because then you're providing goals and assists for a really top side and that's that's where you want to be i i I for me that that's where I think he, what he needs to be doing rather than dropping down and hoping he'll start kind of dominating matches because I'm just not sure that's ever really going to be his game. Which top clubs could he plausibly go to and like play substantially more than he does at the moment? Yeah, that's what's hard. Manchester United, maybe. Yeah, potentially. Well, if, I don't uh, know. If, if Fergie tells Solskjaer what he told Mourinho and <laughs> yeah, sign. I mean, I guess he could in a kind of, if he is able to evolve into it. I mean, like I said last week, I think he does need to evolve into that kind of wide forward, fluid front three role. I mean, you know, abroad, the default seems to be Inter. I mean, that's where everyone goes. Um, I have no idea if that would be a smart move for him. I don't think, from what I understand about Inter team, and I've not seen loads of them, but given Conte is the manager, I'm just not really sure that like a player like that would really fit in. I don't think. Yeah, it just seems like wherever he goes, he's going to have to he's going to have to change his game one way or another. Um, Definitely. I mean, obviously, we've 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 reported over the weekend that Daniel Levy wants to keep him, and I, I you know, having talked earlier on about Mourinho being maybe a bit more short term as a manager, perhaps perhaps a temporary solution will be what what serves everyone's interest best. I mean, I do I do kind of think, given there are two weeks left of his transfer window. And seemingly no one has quite as much money as they used to. I, I do wonder whether there might be a bit of kind of pragmatism in terms of like sort of swap deals and, and loan swaps and stuff. So I do wonder whether that might be a sort of solution that, I, I don't know, if, if they find a club that might want to take him on loan for the season and see how things pan out. And, and that club happened to have, you know, like a centre half or whatever that Spurs might want to take as a sort of temporary solution to see if that helps them out. I don't know. Uh, that that might be the kind of thing maybe that could work, but I mean I'm I'm literally just kind of plucking this off the top of my head. I mean, I, this is not an, this is not the athletic. I'm not David Ornstein. I'm not suggesting this is going to happen. <laughs> it was interesting. I was talking to someone uh, a contact in France yesterday, and he was saying he couldn't see PSG happening for two reasons. One of which is that their priority is a defensive midfielder, someone like Kante potentially. But also, he said there wasn't much money for transfers, which might seem odd to us, thinking that PSG have a kind of bottomless pit of cash. Um, but apparently they're not going to spend big or certainly wouldn't on Delhi um, 
this window. Hi there, I'm Mark Chapman from the Athletics Ornstein and Chapman podcast, and I'm here to tell you that this show is brought to you by Hims. If you haven't heard of them, they're basically your best mate when it comes to those tricky men's health problems. Now, balding is an awkward topic for men, yet a lot of us start to lose our hair before we hit 40. And the best way to take control of hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some. Hims was created to make it easier for guys to seek care, especially guys who avoid seeing their doctor in person for awkward health issues. Not everyone wants to have personal conversations face-to-face with a stranger in a white coat. So, Hims connects you to real doctors online, which could save you hours. It's completely confidential and discreet. You'll get a proper consultation and they'll give you sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. It couldn't be easier to book your free consultation. Just go to forhims.co.uk slash athletic. So that's F-O-R-H-I-M-S, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot co.uk slash athletic. And you can also listen to me on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. It's myself, David Ornstein, and the athletic stable of expert writers bring you unrivaled insight into the biggest stories in the game every single week. And of course, all this, everything that's going on with Deli Alley at the moment is in the context of Gareth Bale. Like, you know, Bale coming in is obviously going to affect Delhi, I think, more than anyone else. Um, not just in terms of the minutes that Bale's going to have, but also because it pushes Tottenham further towards 4-3-3, which of course is bad news for Delhi, and away from 4-2-3-1. Um, last time we spoke, Gareth Bale was not, was not a Tottenham player, Charlie. Now he is, and since then... You've, we've published a story which you wrote with David Ornstein about how the transfer actually happened. What stood out to you there? Yeah, I mean, there are a few layers to it. I mean, one is the fact this was, in inverted commas, uh, Daniel's deal and, you know, something that Levy uh, was really pushing and had been thinking about for some time. And from pretty much the start of summer, Steve Hitchin was telling his inner circle that, you know, Daniel would like to do this deal if possible. Uh, then the fact that Daniel Levy had very close has very close relations with Jonathan Barnett, who is um, Gareth Bale's agent, and that really smoothed things over in the negotiations with Real Madrid. I mean, initially negotiations were with between da- uh, Levy and the club, but then it was more or less able to do it through through Jonathan Barnett. That sped things up. Real Madrid as well. So for the piece, I spoke to Ramon Calderon, who's the former president, and he he used the phrase soap opera. He said that you know everyone at Real Madrid was just sick of the soap opera and really wanted really wanted rid of Bale. Um, whereas last year they dug their heels in eventually and pulled his move to China at the 11th hour. There was no suggestion of that happening. So we're at this point where everyone is kind of broadly in agreement that they want it to happen. Obviously, then you throw in Gareth Bale. Another thing we reported in the piece was that United were interested uh, and made inquiries about the finances of the deal, uh, but felt it was, it was going to be too expensive what was being quoted at them. Then you have Daniel Levy uh, coming in and on the negotiating table with Real Madrid, uh, with Jonathan Barnett. And I've been told that Daniel Levy initially started uh, negotiations at paying around 25% of Bale's wages. Real Madrid wanted about 75%. In the end, um, good news for Levy and for Tottenham, they got it to about 40%, some saying even less, more like 37%. You know, you're still talking about a huge amount of money because he's on 600k a week, roughly. So he's still being paid more uh, than Tottenham's other highest earners, who are Harry Kane and Tangin Dombele, who get 200 grand a week. Um, but it felt, you know, a, a deal that makes sense for everyone. Um, you know, Bale, from what we've been told, you know, from good sources, this was 
something you know he always wanted to do they were the you know he had his heart set on this move and that's how it played out and yeah then obviously it was a case of ironing out the final details and he and you know contrary to this perception of him as you know not really liking living in Spain that's not really the case at all and he did have close friends at the club around like Tony Kroos and Luka Modric and his family really love living there and his kids speak Spanish so you know it was sad I think for them leaving uh, leaving Spain but the feeling was that it was the time was right uh, a few funny details that on the Thursday before he he joined Spurs when he was said to be having a medical he was actually having one last round of golf uh, in Madrid which is quite nice and that his new place uh, that he's found uh, in London has golf facilities on site so it all kind of came together and then obviously flew over with Reguillon uh, on the jet on Friday and then there was lots of um, you know just putting the final touches and lots of uh, people getting very worried and upset that it took so long for it to be announced uh, and then uh, then it finally was announced on what was it Saturday of late afternoon early evening but yeah I mean obviously it, it all accelerated from around Tuesday of last week but one that's been in the works from pretty much the start of summer and then Levy's mind a deal he wanted to do even during the Pochettino era and going even further back I think since that day in September of 2013 when Gareth Bale left it was always something he hoped one day to do you know we were told he had a, a soft spot uh, for Gareth Bale so all of these things come together, you know, with a big deal like that, there have to be, there are so many moving parts that everything has to fit into place, uh, and it did. And yeah, the, the piece that David Ornstein and I have done kind of sets this all out, looking at how the deal happened uh, from start to finish. James, were you getting nervous before it was it was officially announced on Saturday evening? I mean, yeah, I, will, I, mean, I think any, any Spurs fan will, will tell you they were suddenly worried that it was going to, you know, we had, we had the Dybala thing before last summer, um, there have been all kind of transfers, you know, Charlie's written about them before, you know, transfers we thought were going to happen that then kind of fell through at the last minute. And I think they've had, like, uh, Willie in at the training ground and he's ended up not signing. And I think Emmanuel before uh, Emmanuel Petit before that as well. You know, you're know, going back a yeah. long time now. Um, so, yeah. You can read the Jerry Francis interview for more. <laughs> well, there you go. Always on duty, aren't you? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the wounds were there. Uh, and clearly, I think most people were... Uh, uh, Oh, I'm a little bit worried, but I suppose it was quite irrational, really. Um, and, you know, the delayed gratification of that to wait until, uh, was it 6pm on Saturday evening? Uh, I think I think it's added to it, really. It was a that, that little bit of extra drama. You know, when, you, when you're signing a big player and it's not on deadline day, you need to add a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of mild peril in there, don't you? Did you start... I mean, because even I... You know, just just from the perspective of like, given how much we'd written about this deal and everything like that, I was just thinking, oh my goodness, if this fell through, and and there was all the uh, kind of paranoia, and started doing the rounds on Tottenham Twitter of like, oh, he's been added to the Real Madrid squad list again. Oh my god, it's not going to happen. And in my hyper nervous and probably slightly sleep deprived state, I did have a split second of being like, oh my God, what if this falls through? Yeah, well, f- fortunately he did sign in the end. Um, when Charlie, when are we going to expect to see him? Because he's obviously not fit yet, is he? No, he's got an, he's arrived with an injury, but I, I don't think it's anything serious. And the hope is that he'll make his debut after the international break uh, in, in early October. So that would mean playing for the first time in about mid-October. And there's a game against West Ham, um, 
you know, a team he knows very well, having, you know, that amazing double he scored against them uh, in March 2013, it must have been. Um, so, yeah, his first game could be against uh, could be against West Ham in mid-October. And what about uh, Reguillon? When are we expecting to see him? Yeah, well, Mourinho was asked about that actually after the Southampton game yesterday. Uh, and he said he'll be ready soon. Uh, could be end of the week. So I suspect he might make his debut against Newcastle. Uh, on Sunday and that is a really exciting signing as well I mean I think that's the one that you know taking away the sentimentality and all of that that's objectively perhaps just from a pure footballing sense the more exciting one I mean that's a guy you're signing coming into his prime I mean again we've talked about this so many times but maybe this is a slightly more deluxe version but you know we talked about watching kind of YouTube highlights packages and getting misled I've been watching some of him on Y Scout uh, which is pretty much the same thing and I'm getting really carried away because some of the goals he scores are kind of ridiculous like they look a bit like a computer game he just gets it runs past people and smashes it in the bottom corner uh, which given the guy he's succeeding is Ben Davis who brilliant servant we've talked about that uh, could slot in as a left-sided centre-back so you know potentially you know uh, Reguillon's arrival might not even be bad news for him but clearly that is not Ben Davis's game so um, yeah that looks like a really exciting signing I actually think that people saying Reguillon uh, was a better signing than Bale will become like a big cliche quite quickly massively I mean I'm not I'm not saying it's not true either but I just feel you know like that thing people always say whenever a manager's under pressure early on and they say oh Manchester United well uh, they didn't sack Fergie after four or five years without a trophy or whatever it was. I think like every time a, a team signs two players, yeah, you can kind of see like in five years' time, it'll become the thing. Well, when Spurs signed Regalon and Bale, you know they were happy about it. They were really excited about Bale, but actually, uh, you know, I think that might be the kind of thing you see loads totally in the years. or in a kind of straw manny way. I think Jack and I we were talking about this on the cliches pod last week of, of people presenting it as if like no one's making that argument. So like you know what I know, I know you're all going crazy about Bale, but I actually think Regalon could be, as if it's like a original opinion that I mean, that everyone's saying. More or less exactly what you just did. Not quite. Not quite. There's a subtle difference because I think I was acknowledging within that that uh, it, it's a it's an opinion that's been trailed very heavily. I wasn't trying to present it as, as being interesting or original. I didn't even know that he scored sorry, I I never had anything to add to the to this great banter, but I I didn't know that he scored goals. I, I was just he, to be fair, he, he he doesn't he hasn't scored loads, uh, but there's just one in particular against Roma in the Europa League, which I'd really recommend you to to watch. It's been it was it was posted on Twitter quite a lot as well uh, when they were signing him. Uh, it's just a re- it's just a silly goal. He just gets it and bombs forward and buries it basically. He's got two goals in La Liga and one in Europa League in his career, and then some in Segunda. I uh, Segunda Division B actually, which is even further down, isn't it? And I guess the, the big news now for Spurs is this terrible week they've got coming up where. They're due to play against Leighton Orient away in the Europa League on Tuesday night and then uh, Skendija of North Macedonia in the Europa League on Thursday night before coming back to play, I think it's Newcastle United, at home on Sunday. Now, this look, I know we've said it before, but it's worth saying again, this is an absolute disgrace that Tottenham has to play all these games in such a short space of time. It shows complete contempt from the authorities for the players' physical health and their ability to avoid injury. And in a choice between protecting the players or protecting the calendar, the, the, the authorities have chosen to protect the calendar and risk hurting the players. Um, and I know Eric Dyer's talked about this in press conference before, but it's certainly worth it's certainly worth us reiterating that because of just how bad it is. However, 
So while we're recording this, which is sort of mid-afternoon on Monday, it's, in, it's recently come out that uh, a number of Leighton Orient players have tested positive for coronavirus. And that mean, and currently the clubs, the EFL and Public Health England, are discussing whether or not Tuesday night's game can actually go ahead. Um, by the time you listen to this podcast, I'm sure a decision will have been reached. Speaking now, it doesn't. I mean, I don't see how the game can go ahead. Um, there's some talk of switching the grounds, but I don't think that would make the slightest bit of difference because the issue isn't the ground; it's the players. But Charlie, what um, what do you think Mourinho would have done in this game had it proceeded normally, and what does it tell us about? the sort of general plans for squad rotation at the moment. Yeah, he, he was asked about this after the Southampton game and he name-checked a few players who he said would play uh, against Leighton Orient. Joe Hart, Toby, uh, Moussa Sissoko, Serge Aurier. So it's those level players. Um, I'm sure Lamella would have played, probably Sessegnon, the guys who have been on the bench or or just beneath that um, you know for, for those hoping it's going to be a kind of team full of under 18s they would have been disappointed Mourinho doesn't like to rotate massively we know that um, and you know he even talks about playing Harry Kane which you know, I think I mentioned before I just think is is crazy given how much Harry Kane could play this season we know he has been overworked previously you've got someone like Son Jung Min who could come in and play or even Lucas Moura like you know I'm, I'm not saying those are the answers long term but you should be able to beat uh, a Leighton Orient side with you should be able to rest Harry Kane and beat Leighton Orient is what I'm saying um, so it would have been a reasonably strong team and then I think he would have gone back to more or less full strength for both Thursday and uh, Sunday um, and I and, my view on this, and I don't. It obviously depends how many games they do actually have to play in this spell. But I suspect they might get away with it without too many injuries necessarily straight off the bat. But it might be that you see it later on in the season uh, that it comes back to bite them. This kind of ridiculous workload at this at this point. Um, but yeah, it's it's not going to be. I mean, Tuesday would have been a lot of a lot of rotation. But for, we're talking fringe players rather than um, you know a ton of a ton of young guys. I mean, Deli Ali's another one. Actually, he he was probably going to feature against Leighton Orient. Uh, was what Mourinho said. I imagine Bergvine probably. Um, so now it'd be interesting with Delhi because if this game doesn't happen, then I wouldn't have thought he he'd start. Certainly, he might not even travel to Macedonia. Um, and and then you really are looking at someone on the fringes. I suppose if he, if all the games had taken place this week, then Spurs could have rotated on Tuesday, rotated back to their first string players on Thursday, and then had a difficult decision to make on Sunday. Whereas if the if the Leighton Orient game isn't to take place this Tuesday, then they couldn't play the you know the team that would have played Orient in Macedonia. I don't think they'll do that though. I think I think Mourinho sees it as too important. You know, he he played a full strength team last week uh, more or less on that Thursday game even though they hadn't played on the Tuesday and he, and he said afterwards he just didn't feel he could risk it and I, I do have some sympathy with him because that is what's hard about these being straight knockout games you know that that is potentially enormous for them financially as well if they were to lose it'd be pretty catastrophic so it's a hard one to take too many chances with and, and, and we that's the thing we've seen so many times before that teams do try and rotate and then they get hammered for it because it does give the other team a lift uh, if they don't win the game then it's like well you've completely invited this on yourself so uh, I, I think he um, he'll still name a pretty strong team on Thursday yeah well that's yeah I'm sure you're right um and then all the way back from Macedonia ahead of Newcastle on Sunday, it's uh, it doesn't it doesn't stop, does it? It's kind of it's just it is just a ridiculous schedule. It is. I mean, I always feel I've written about this before. I mean, I know 
the, the problem is, and obviously COVID is a whole different thing, but generally with, with fixture congestion and that sort of thing, and it's the TV companies that get hammered for it. But if you're, it's the clubs who have taken that money. The clubs have signed away, I think, any right really to complain because they're happy enough to take these enormous sums of TV money. Because, and part of the reason those figures are so astronomical is because... Uh, the TV, you know, the TV companies are saying, "Well, look, we'll pay loads, but we want to be able to move games to when suits us and when it gets maximum TV figures." Because guess what? They're there to make as much money as they can. So, for clubs to then turn around and be like, "Oh, well, I can't believe you've moved this game," it's like, "Well, you did sign that off." Obviously, this is a slightly different situation, but that's the problem. They they need and want all this money desperately, even more so now. And it is it's just really tough that. You know, it's, it is the players that suffer. I mean, obviously, you know, we don't need to go down the, the route, but I don't I don't know what you guys thought of the, you know, Eric Dyer being told he shouldn't complain because people have it worse. And Yeah, that was, uh, what, the, the Jamie O'Hara tweet? Yeah. Uh, there are a few sort of um, non-league people, and obviously Jamie O'Hara is the manager of Billericke now. Um, a couple, I mean, I follow quite a lot of people in non-league on Twitter. And there are a few people kind of calling Eric Dyer out and saying, you know, obviously for people who aren't aware, most players in non-league sort of blow the National League in England uh, will also have like a full-time job or a part-time job around their football when they'll train twice a week and play maybe two games a week. So I think the theory was that non-league players had it far harder because not only did they have to play two games a week more or less every week, but also they'd have like, you know, a lot lot of them are sort of teachers or personal trainers or whatever else. Um, Which is all very well and good, but I mean, the expectation on a Premier League player physically and technically is obviously so much higher than we respect than than, than on a sort of, you know, a non-league, an Isthmian Premier League player or or a National League South player that... Well, it's just not it's not really a comparison you can make fairly I mean I, and I'm not I, you know, I'm a massive fan of non-league I'm not kind of besmirching that but like it's, the idea that those two things are comparable is ludicrous mm. yeah I mean like there have been times when I've probably played football like five or six times a week <laughs> but it's it's just a, a pretty much a different sport and obviously you didn't like, have to travel, travel to Macedonia did you yeah only yeah only rarely um, you know whereas obviously football league uh, non-league you know that Isthmian whatever is is far closer to the Premier League, of course. But you are, as you say, James, it, it's a very different thing uh, physically and the level of intensity that's that's expected. Well, fingers crossed, all the all the players get through this difficult period. Okay, uh, thoughts obviously also with the Leighton Orient players who tested positive for coronavirus. Yeah, we should also right. mention actually that the game on Tuesday was going to be was going to involve a dedication to Justin Edinburgh the former Tottenham defender and Leighton Orient manager who sadly passed away recently. Uh, Charlie, you've you've written about the Justin Edinburgh Foundation. Can you tell us tell us about its work and what it was planning to do for this game? Yeah, I mean, Tottenham were, the, the plan was, and again, it's such a shame this has been overshadowed, was they were going to auction shirts off to raise money for the JE3 Foundation, which was set up by the family of Justin Edinburgh. Um, you know, his son Charlie was instrumental in this. And, and Charlie's someone I interviewed actually um, earlier this year, and I mean, it's such a sad story. I mean, Justin Edinburgh passed away in June 2019 following a cardiac arrest. And, you know, the the the, the charity is all about raising awareness of that and um, getting defibrillators um, kind of in places like gyms. Uh, you know, he was training in the gym and there wasn't a defibrillator on site. And had there been, he could have been saved. So, you know, that that's what it's about. Um, 
what their aim is this thing called um, what they want to see passed is a thing called Justin's Law um, where you have all sports and health facilities and that could be a gymnasium that could be a cricket pavilion um, you know they're equipped with defibrillators um, so yeah that's what they're aiming towards and it's they're doing fantastic work um, so yeah there's also you know they are, they are fundraising and there's a there's a Just Giving link which um, is, is on that piece uh, and I've linked to it on Twitter as well so yeah if you you want to donate to that you can um but yeah hopefully that won't be you know i'm sure it will be overshadowed in all of this but you know it's nice to see all of this kind of awareness being raised and yeah hopefully they can raise as much money as possible so if you want to learn more about the justin edinburgh foundation as well you can just go to je3foundation.com that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast um thank you very much as ever to charlie james and producer tom we'll be back again next week to review I mean, who knows what's going to happen to Tottenham this week on and off the pitch. Um, the Scandija game and Newcastle game, I we assume, will go ahead. And then looking forward to the following week and hopefully the quick reintegration of Reguillon and Bale into the team. If there's anything you want us to discuss further on the podcast, please just tweet us.